From the home of creative writing on the internet, live and uncensored, this is Latopia After Dark. Featuring a fusion of low-down gossip and lofty debate. All hosted by Latopia's Peter Cox. The time in Hollywood, California is 1 p.m., where a screenwriter is standing in front of a fence, wondering. It's 1,500 hours in Quantico, Virginia, where they train special agents for the FBI. And the time here in Westminster and Mayfair, London, is about 8 o'clock. So, good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Wherever you are, I'd like to welcome you to Latopia After Dark. As always, we're broadcasting live on Ustream. Join us there if you can, and don't hold back in the chat room. Tonight, because it's After Dark, we're into vice. Not in all its glories, but in a certain, what should I say, specialist interest way. The big question we're contemplating this evening is, vice, is it any good? Here to help us ponder the vicissitudes of vice are, from England's West Country, writer and lecturer Dave Bartram, from Fort Lauderdale in Florida, writer and lawyer Donna Borman, from Scotland, a writer and Latopia podcast officer Eve Harvey. Dave, if you could choose a vice, what would it be? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, if I could choose a vice, it'd probably be one of those big engineering ones with the knurled edges and the big handle. Uh, very handy for all sorts of things. Yeah, but, terrific. Yeah, or um, really f- more of a seventh deadly sin, I suppose. I think idleness would be my real vice if I could get it. Oh, sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, Donna, vice should be vigorously suppressed by the state, shouldn't it? Heck no. What would writers do then? Well, I guess it depends on the vice, though. If your vice is serial killing, then the government should probably step in. But if it's sex or reading or something, they need to stay out of my bedroom. No, sounds good to me too. Eve, do you even have a vice? You mean apart from stealing library books? Um, <clears throat> I would say air and the fags and the booze and the partypoker.com and the chocolate top knobs and Maltesers and... Oh, oh yeah. 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 Oh, goodness, my head. <laughs> I call a vice woman. It's I do, shocking, yes. Really. I love vices, yes. Uh, plen- plenty of dis- disclosures tonight <laughs> on the Telegraph Talk. Our first excursion to the seamy underbelly of writing and publishing tonight starts in Seattle, as all things sinful do seem to. We all know that most shoplifting is committed by junkies desperate for the means for their next fix. There is an exception, book thieves. They steal because, well, why? Writing in The Stranger, which is Seattle's, builder Seattle's only newspaper, James Yamasaki says, In my eight years working at an independent bookstore, I lost count of how many shoplifts as I chased through the streets of Seattle. While shouting, Drop the book! I chased them down crowded pedestrian plazas in the afternoon. I chased them through alleys at night. I even chased one into a train tunnel. I chased a book thief to the waterfront, he says, where he shouted, Here are your effing books! and threw half a dozen paperbacks, including Bomb the Suburbs and A People's History of the United States, into Puget Sound, preferring to watch them slowly sink to the muck rather than hand them back to the bookseller they were stolen from. He had that ferocious orgasmic gleam in his eyes, writes Yamasaki, of somebody who was living in the climax of his own movie. I suppose he felt like he was liberating them somehow. He goes on to say that uh, working in an independent bookstore is to always be aware of shoplifters. It can devour you, he says. You can spend all your time watching people, wondering if they're watching you. Every shoplifter of court is a major victory, he says, against the forces of darkness. Everyone who escapes is another ten minutes kept awake at night with gnashing teeth. And he then goes on to give us the top five most stolen books of all time by authors. And they are 
Number one, Charles Bukowski. Number two, Jim Thompson. Thompson. Number three, Philip K. Dick. Number four, William S. Burroughs. And number five, any graphics novel. That's pretty much the authoritative top five, he says, the New York Times bestseller list of stolen books. Its origins, he says, still mystify me. Um, Dave, what do you think of that list? And more importantly, have you ever been tempted? Oh, always been tempted. Um, but uh, I don't think I've ever succumbed. Um, it's an interesting list. I'd go for Philip K. Dick, probably. Graphic novels? Mm, I don't know. William S. Burroughs, probably not. It's an interesting list. It's quite eclectic, isn't it, really? It is, right, it, yeah. Um, it just goes to show that um, all of these things, like shoplifting as much as any other trait, run right the way through every strata of society, don't they? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Everything's tempting, isn't it? It gets back to that vice thing. How naughty yeah. can you be? Donna, do you think book thieves should be prosecuted like any other common petty criminal? Maybe even worse, maybe hanging by the thumbs or something. I, I don't know. I, I don't have much tolerance for dishonesty of any sort. Um, somebody who would steal someone else's creative work is a particular low life to me. And somebody who would steal from independent booksellers who are usually struggling along, it's pretty low. Uh, yeah. I don't think it should be tolerated at all. Yeah. Eve, I mean, there's got to be some special reason for stealing a book rather than paying just a few quid for it. I mean, can you, can you ease yourself into the mind of the, of the book lifter? What's going on in there? I had a friend who used to steal um, Vogue and Harper's Bazaar when we were young and only had pocket money um, because of the beauty of them. And, um, but they were so overpriced. They were full of adverts. Really, yeah. I mean, there were things to behold and things to have, but they weren't worth the money. Well, uh, um, your, your friend so was adding to the circulation <laughs> figures. They, they were doing a favour to the publisher, actually. They were, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, it was only them that she stole. But, but I mean, we did justify it by feeling that they were just far too overpriced for magazines full of ad- adverts. Yeah. It's a special type of thief who, who, who indulges in this, isn't it, really? You would have to wonder what was going on, you know, for them to... The books are not that expensive. I mean, they don't, unless they're obviously the big coffee table books that cost a fortune. But even then, in some of the outlet stores, you can still buy them for a fraction of the price that they cost in the first place. Yeah. Um, I can't understand why you would have to steal a book. Yeah. Talking about nicking things, or not nicking things, actually, Penguin have just announced that they're dropping copy protection from their audio books. Uh, the music industry have already pretty much done this, uh, you know, apart from suing all their customers. They've then uh, gone on and decided that copy protection, copy protection may be, it's not the best way of making friends and influencing people and indeed selling, um, selling records. Uh, film studios haven't yet. They are actually moving in the opposite direction, strengthening the protection for their particular intellectual property. And what are book publishers? Well, will they drop or strengthen copyright protection on the e-book, which is something that we mention almost every week? Um, and as, as writers, I think this is what it boils down to, as writers, how much do we really trust our readers not to rip us off? I think probably readers of books are slightly more ethical than uh, listeners to music in those terms, I would have thought. There's nothing quite odd about a downloaded book anyway. I think it's a curious thing, and I think that probably adds to the idea of not disseminating that way. You know, if you think about it, you were talking about audio books um, and DRM. How many people went out and pirated copies of cassette-based uh, books when they were all on old, yeah. you know, on tape cassettes? Nobody really went out and did that. They could very easily. Yeah. You know, DAT would have stopped that, but DAT died death, and then there were CDs, and now we have MP3s. And I can't imagine just because of the change in technology, people are going to change their habits. It could have been done, but it wasn't. So why would they do it now? Mm. 
Well, I suppose the thing is that um, the uh, the ebook, uh, if, the unprotected ebook, effectively a sort of PDF file, is an incredibly easy thing just to send on, isn't it, to to a friend? You can just stick into an email and off it goes straight away. I had a wee test this afternoon um, to see what I could find, um, and I downloaded almost all of Stephen King's catalogue of books really? in PDF files this really? afternoon. Yes, really? all of them. Um, there was about thirty books in one download from wow. uh, bit, a bit torrent site. Didn't take very long, half an hour. I had all of them on my computer. Wow! But uh, it's reading them on the screen. I mean, it, it, nothing can get away from having a book in front of you. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think it matters. You know that I would read possibly the start of the book. And if I liked it, I want a book. And I think a lot of readers feel the same way about having the feel of a book in their hands. Yes, mm. maybe this would help to sell them. You know, if somebody reads the first couple of pages and thinks, I love this, you still can't sit and read it on the computer. But you mm. can get them. They're all out there. That's very interesting. You know, I've never heard that before. Um, so they're all available on some sort of uh, BitTorrent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. what are they, PDFs? PDFs. Um, I've got the Microsoft Reader and I used to be able to get a lot of um, lit files. You can get lit files, um, right. which will, will read on the Microsoft Reader. Yes. And so you can turn the pages and you can see it on the wow. screen. Are they, are, they, um, are they scanned books? No, or do, no. What, what, what do they look like? Well, the ones on the lit files look like book pages. They're not, you know, they're, they're very good quality. They, they look like a book. Um, but the PDF files look like typing. It's it's like um, Times New Roman type font. It's mm. not the font that you would get on on a real book. But but you, I mean they're all out there. Search for anybody on a BitTorrent and you'll find their books. Wow! If somebody isn't, could be bothered putting them up. Isn't the danger with that the same as you've got with LimeWire and things like that? I was only talking to somebody yesterday how their PC had basically been. Uh, totally trashed by a virus they downloaded with a BitTorrent from LimeWire, and isn't that you the way people uh-huh. could, couldn't uh, people protect their their rights simply by infecting the file with a virus that lays dormant <laughs> until you try and pass it on? At which point it destroys your hard drive. That would protect it without <laughs> yeah. actually getting into the digital rights issues, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think I, this I goes to the the fact of of uh, the concept of downloading books free from the internet actually increasing sales. Book readers mm. want to have books. There's nothing right now that stops you from reading a book and then passing it on. I think it's the same concept. Book readers want to have books. They want to own books. They want to collect books. Um, they're going to keep doing that, I think. Sorry, there's, there's Sorry. a little cafe in a town down the road where they have a bookshelf, and as people finish a book, they leave one, pick up another one. And people books just get passed on through this uh, bookshelf in a cafe. It's rather nice. Yeah, well, that's the idea behind uh, Bookmooch on the internet. Actually, it's, it's a huge version of that, which initially publishers didn't like um, because they, you know, they felt a secondary market, secondhand books, basically, um, it was was bad for business. They don't want people buying secondhand books when they can buy new books. But I think that's very short-sighted, actually, because if you, I you know, don't if you, like if, secondhand books. I have to say, you don't. I always think somebody's sat on the toilet and read. <laughs> <laughs> That's for hygiene purposes. Don't people do that? They sit on the toilet and read a book. I've, I've heard they do, actually. Yes, apparently so. 
Um, I don't want that book. It's the traces of food on the page that sort of freak me out, actually. And it's always sort of, it's always dried egg. I don't know why. But there's some there's someone out there eating a lot of dried egg. <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, that that explains why they're spending so long on the toilet. Obviously, they're just <laughs> <laughs> got to have something to do while you're waiting for it all to happen. <laughs> could, be there, could be there for hours. Poor people. <laughs> I think that counts as advice, actually. <laughs> I think it does. Yes. Gosh, we're learning a lot tonight. I've got to plunge into the depths even even further now and onto yet more of advice. Books. Are they just a nice read or a shortcut to prison? Um, as we've seen, book thieves may pretty much succeed in avoiding justice, but there is a class of criminal even worse. I'm referring, of course, to the miscreant who stabs at the very heart of our civilization the overdue library book recidivist. Thankfully, one county in the States is leading the way in the pioneering punishment of these villains. The Associated Press reports that uh, Keeley Given of Beloit, Wisconsin, population 7,000, it may be small, but they are tough there, learned the hard way the importance of returning overdue library books, spending six days in the Rock County Jail when she failed to do so. After being pulled over for a traffic violation, officers discovered a warrant had been issued for her arrest for failure to appear in court to answer a municipal citation issued because items had not been returned to the Beloit Public Library. Given who was uh, in between residences when the citation was issued last year, said she never received notifications from the library that explained she had overdue items. I was moving, she said, so I returned some of the things late. Uh, Given is a mother, uh, I think they're always the worst, aren't they, who had checked out some children's books and craft books. Because I was in transition, she says, I didn't receive the notices. I had a fine and I didn't know. Library director Dan Zack said, it sends overdue notices at two weeks, four weeks and six weeks. <laughs> Three strikes and you're out. So, um, Linda Griezmann Christofferson, who's a professor at Given, said she thought the punishment was a bit harsh. This young woman, she says, is working really hard to better her life. She has a little boy and it'd be nice if he could have a good feeling about the library, she said. But... Beloit Police Captain Bill Tyler said a municipal fine is a municipal fine. I said, what we can do about these? What can we do about these monsters who prey on our libraries? Your creative suggestions, please, Donna. <laughs> I, I would think that a collection agency would have uh, beaten jail time on that. It's a little bit ridiculous. Um, I, I'd say they went a little far. Well, I don't know about that. Let's get a, a Fox News view, Dave. Um, well, I just wonder how much it costs to keep somebody in jail for a few days. Uh, it's quite expensive business, I would have thought. I would put that against the. the um, the fines that were overdue, I think you'll find that the, the county was probably way out of pocket at the end of the day. Must have been. Eve, parts of Scotland can be just as tough as anywhere in the States, can't they? What would they <laughs> have, have done up, up north? Oh, nothing. I, they they shouldn't, should have been really nice to her because it was obviously not her fault and she'd not <sighs> meant to keep the books. And <sighs> it, was Nambi, all, big, it was all a big Nanny mistake. State. <laughs> you got to teach these people a lesson. Eve, so Eve. She, <laughs> Looking at the library books sitting on the shelf. Uh, be there are notorious book thief. <laughs> <laughs> it starts it starts with overdue library books and you know where it ends. Which is already on to da- downloading from the internet. What next? Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. I'm very sorry about 
if anyone's listening, I'm very sorry about the library books that are still here. I can't <laughs> read them now. I feel too guilty. <laughs> Next, you'll be mainlining Potter, and then it all goes downhill from there. Well, talking talk, talk about uh, libraries and librarians, the USA Today is reporting the FBI's reading list worries librarians. At issue, it says, is the USA Patriot Act, the post-September the 11th legislation approved by Congress that, amongst other things, gave federal agents broad new powers to spy on people in the States. Under the Patriot Act, the FBI no longer has to show a judge that it's probable cause to believe that a person under surveillance has committed a crime to get a search warrant for a library's circulation record or computer hard drives or a bookstore's sales records. Um, now, an agent must merely convince the Secret Foreign Intelligence Service Court that such records could aid a terrorism probe. Along with the search warrant comes a gag order, a judicial command to the record keeper to tell nobody about the visit or else risk being prosecuted. All this in the land of the freedom. Well, I don't like the so-called Patriot Act. It's against everything we fought you lot for. Um, but <laughs> then I'm probably on some list somewhere for associating with known vegans, Democrats, so. Muslim women. No question about that. What do you think, um, Dave, what would you suggest should go on the watch list? Oh, that's a tricky one. Because um, I'm probably I'm on a list somewhere, allegedly, because I was a CND activist in the 80s. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm probably on a list somewhere. Yeah, no, I'm um, not saying who. I'm saying what. I mean, I put Jane Oliver on straight away. Well, quite, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. You can think of all the, the, the titles that go on, you know, um, uh, Dr. Strangelove as a video rental, wouldn't it? You know, How I Learned yeah. to Love the Bomb. That would be. Yeah. That's got to be on an FBI list. I, I, I'm just kind of stunned by the the kind of the the, the what's the word the, do, the 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 rather nasty cleverness of the title of the act, the Patriot Act. Like, mm. if you disagree with this, clearly you're not a patriot. So we'll put you on the list. So probably anybody who disagrees with it is probably on the list actually. So anything they can read by definition will be put on the list because they read it. Yeah. I think it's yeah. probably the sort of thing that's defined by the readership almost as much as the other way around. God knows if you get like a, tur- a Turkish cookbook or something. And, and eat falafels. Or too, anybody who's against the war is not a patriot. So it's uh, really kind of dismal here right now. Well, we have, but I think, I think we can um, you know, do almost as well. I mean, we've got advertisements running now in London. I don't know if anyone else has seen them outside of London. Um, encouraging everybody to be vigilant about uh, people taking photographs in a suspicious way. Now, since London is, you know, one of the world's biggest tourist destinations, and it's full of very strange-looking people taking photographs all the time, and this is all this is going to do is encourage paranoia, really rampant paranoia. And my, you know, my soapbox, for what it's worth, is um, you, we just go back uh, ten years or so to the time when, well, a bit more than that, when the IRA was regularly bombing people in London and elsewhere and uh, there wasn't anything like this degree of hysteria that, uh, that exists now. I think, it's, I think it's largely political manipulation. But let's get back to these, um, the, the, this, these, this banned book list, FBI watch list. Eve, have you got any suggestions of uh, dodgy books that should go on the list? Uh, no, actually. Oh. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm kind of, do you think that if anything actually happens though and terrorist you know, terrorist activities being proved to be used in the library system. Don't you think everybody's going to be asking how they managed to get away with that and under the noses? And I don't know. You see, I don't mind being watched. I'm mighty boring, though. Um, I'm quite. I'm quite. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I'm on the fence here, but there's not a lot up here. I have to say, I live kind of out of it. Um, we don't have any of this up here. There's no. 
we watch for this and watch for that. So you're saying if if you've got nothing to hide, you don't mind being watched. Is that right? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry about that. But yes, I don't. I don't mind it. I, I think I don't. Um, I have not nothing that would interest anybody. So they can watch me all they like. I'm very boring and and it would be a waste of time. But I don't mind being watched. If uh, somebody who's being watched is doing something gets caught for it. Yeah, but they're busy watching you. That's the problem. <laughs> They'd start watching me after 10 minutes. I mean, really, I'm that boring and move on to somebody else. But I, I do think if something happens and it's proved that they've used public systems to do it, there would be a major outcry. How did that happen? And, you know, through the public libraries. Well, it's, it's, it starts with people uh, taking books out and not returning them, doesn't it? It's overdue for absolutely. <laughs> it's all it's my all, fault. It, it's clearly, it clearly is the root of terrorism. You're absolutely right. You're probably under surveillance now. <laughs> I probably am. <laughs> oh, dear. It's all my fault. See, I should have taken them back. I should have taken them you back. Should have. It's, it's just it's too late now. You're on the list. On to more terrorism. Not, not on, on to more vice we're talking about. Um, NBC Universal. The uh, film studio is trying to block a public footpath from traversing its property in Los Angeles because, <laughs> uh, because aspiring—I can't believe this—because aspiring screenwriters use it to lob unsolicited screenplays onto <laughs> the studio's nearby production lot. Obviously, it's only going to be a matter of time until an executive is killed by a badly executed story, <laughs> tragically cut down by a poor pot boiler with a malformed second act. What can be done to stop this menace and avert a catastrophe? Let's get Fox News tough on this, Dave. Oh, I, 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 have you had any manuscripts lobbed into your back garden? Out of interest? <laughs> Not quite. A lot of strange people coming to the door. <laughs> oh, I, I think possibly we could encourage the, 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 a return to the novella form. And, and and similar adaptations, you know. Let's let's get back to you know films that only last eighty minutes. That could possibly save somebody's life. I could do absolutely. Yes, you know, I think yeah. legislation, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. If the screenplay for Lord of the Rings clocked somebody, my God, yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't have a head left, would they? Really? Yeah. Have you ever been so desperate enough to, try to consider doing this? I have, I've considered everything. Yes, I have to say. <laughs> I can see you do. You ought to be put under surveillance, actually. I should. Yeah. I should. Oh, don't give out my address. Yeah. I think just put up a big sign saying anybody who throws something's blacklisted. I mean, you know, it's quite <laughs> simple. Yeah, what's the furore about? You know, just make it plain that if you throw your scripts, you're not allowed in after that, and that should do. Oh, I love the vision of literally pitching <laughs> screenplays. I, it's literally <laughs> pitching a screenplay, yeah. Um, he just wanted des- to sell his screenplay until it got out of hand. How desperate would you really have to be? I, I wonder if it's ever worked. I and mean, if, it, if it has, then uh, there's going to be a rash of people pitching things into yeah. your backyard. And, oh, totally. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I, th- I think, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a films, uh, there's a screenplay in that, actually. I call it Fatal Pitch. Have Jim, Jim Carrey as the, uh, as, as the mad writer. Tom Hanks as the studio executive. So his package is perfect. Make me an offer, somebody. Killing agents by pitching screenplays at them and hitting them in the head. Mm, a serial killer. Uh, yeah, serial. Yes, it would, be, it, would be a thri- it would be a trilogy converted into a screenplay, a serial killer, wouldn't it? <laughs> Lobbing a soap opera over in, se- in, in sequenced episodes. That would be a serial killer. 
Now I just got this vi- vision of this tired executive coming out to his car and uh, putting the key in the lock and suddenly being caught in the chest by um, <laughs> a screenplay for War and Peace. Just lying there, spread eagle, with this gigantic manuscript on his chest. And then people slowly gathering around and the camera kind of turning and moving away and it all going dark. And then Kevin Spacey doing a narration over the top. <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> to show that screenwriters really are different. Oh, God. Um, we, we continue our, our descent into the depths of vice with uh, synonym sloth. Sadly, distressingly, you're likely to find a copy of Roger's Thesaurus, or should we say Thesaurus? I think I prefer Thesaurus, on the shelves of most writers these days. It serves, as we know, as a crutch for those poor souls who are more concerned with sounding learned than with actually being learned. And it encourages laziness, glibness, affectation, double-dealing, phoniness, sanctimoniousness and sanctimony, rather than diligence, assiduousness, care, carefulness, laboriousness, quickness and vigour. A new biography of Mr. Roger himself has just been published. Tell the truth now, how often do you use this book? The book of the slothful vice, Eve. All the time. Constantly, I have to say. I'm going to sound really geeky here, though, because I read it. I sit and read the thesaurus. But it's bad memory, though. I can't remember any of the things, and I have to go hunting down the words. Um, you know, you, you, you think it sounds like this. It, you know, it means sort of like that, and then... It leads you to another word and leads you to another word. But I could sit and read it for hours. Gosh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Really boring. Now we um, see what you say about the surveillance thing. Yeah, you're right. They, they, would, they would switch it you off. You see what I mean? You see what I mean? It's not interesting. Bloody thesaurus again. <laughs> and it's massive, huge, big thing. Yeah, oh, you could sit there for hours. <laughs> I'm going to order some medication for you at some point. (laughs) I love it. Word after word after word. Brilliant. Sorry. Yes, but I do do chase down words in the thesaurus and try and find exactly the right one. I know them already, though. This is not looking for a new word that I can put in. These are words that I already know. Um, And if I don't find it, I'll just make it up. He's an interesting sure. guy. Um, his name was Peter Mark Roger. He was born in London in 1778. Uh, the compilation of lists, it says here, it says a review, I believe, in the in New York Times, but the um, the link will be on our show notes. It says here, the compilation of lists may seem a strange way to manage life's vagaries, but Roger managed to stave off madness, which ran in his family by doing so. Quote, As a boy, he stumbled upon a remarkable discovery that compiling lists of words could provide solace, no matter what misfortunes might befall him. He was particularly fond of cataloguing the objects, both animate and inanimate, in his environment. As an adult, he kept returning to the classification of words and concepts. Immersion in the nuances of language could invariably both energise him and keep his persistent anxiety at bay. I think these days we'd probably be giving Peter Roger uh, Ritalin. Is this a book you resort to? I use the feature on the word processor when I'm editing. Usually not when I'm writing so much, but as I'm editing myself and I find that I've overused a word, I'll I'll check the thesaurus and um, 
look up alternatives because I can't remember them either. It's, I'm too old to uh, remember all the alternative words that I know exist at this point. I think it's interesting, though, that he used the making of those lists to kind of ward off insanity, which is mm. what I think writers do when they write. I think a lot of us probably have some borderline personality traits that uh, we manage to channel into something useful. Yeah, it sounds like he might have been a little bit OCD as well, actually. Do you not think he's autistic spectrum disorder? Yeah. I, when I was reading through that, um, uh, which my son has, so I was reading through that, and everything, the, the not being very good in company, not being, um, and making lists and, and trying to make sense of the world, that's, that's an autistic spectrum disorder. Mm. Without a doubt, all that, the things added up to that. That's what I thought by the time mm. I'd read well, the end of that article. Is, is, is on that spectrum, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. That's what my son has that. Yes. And it's, it's just the same. It's exactly the same all the way through there. Mm. And to, to be able to sit and do, to make a, a thesaurus by the end of it, you know, it, you have to be so focused to which they are. Yeah. And I, well, I think yeah. that's what that is. Yeah, I mean, Asperger's, the incident of Asperger's in uh, Silicon Valley is, is, is extraordinary. Yes. Enormous numbers of people have it. Oh, but you know, using it fairly effectively, which is what Peter Roger did too. Do you do you resort to a, a thesaurus at all, Dave? Uh, or do you say thesaurus? What do you say? I, I don't say it because I don't use one. Actually, uh, um, you're, a, you're a real writer. I, I've never. I've tried and found I ended up using the word I thought of in the first place anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, that's what Stephen King says, and I'd agree with him wholeheartedly. You know, I share a taste for ACDC and Metallica with him as well. And, um, uh, yeah, he says, what could replace the first word you thought of that was the most clear-cut word for the thing you wanted to say? And mm. I would agree completely. Um, I think, uh, you know, there is that, actually, there is that Australian band who say, play the same song over and over again called OCDC. I don't know if you've heard of them. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, no, I, I, I really seriously don't use one. I've, I've actually got put off one by dealing with um, personal statements for UCAS applications with students who thought they needed to sound clever. Yeah. And they'd use a thesaurus randomly without any yeah. thought to meaning. Yeah. And you get the most bizarre statements uh, coming out that make no sense whatsoever. So that kind of killed it for me completely, really. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, actually? I mean, the, 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 the very few words have perfect synonyms. I mean, you know, the, the grouping of words, it's kind of like in, in the same category. But, you know, um, precision is, is, is a difficult thing to achieve, I think, with a thesaurus. But still. Well, I, I think it's handy if you know that there's a better word out there and you're just not thinking of it. That's when I tend to use it. You know, sometimes the word that I've used isn't as precise as I like to be, and I know there's a better word. Tronomodra says the thesaurus is also useful for getting rid of adverbs. You hit them with it. <laughs> <laughs> Get off! Smack! Smack! <laughs> adverbs, studio executives, anything really. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing our, our peregrination towards the... Uh, the bottomless pit of, of vice. Here comes the Hooker Prize. Now, whatever you think of this week's um, you know, pretty shocking news, really, from New York about Elliot Spitzer and his fall from grace in the New York Minute, abebooks.com, which I, I use quite a lot, has compiled a list of ten recommended non-fiction reads about hookers, madams, high-class call girls and prostitutes. And the list is, uh, number one, The Happy Hooker, My Own Story by Xaviera Hollander, which has been going for a long time, actually. I think it's 
published in 1972. Uh, Call Girl. Uh, number three, Mayflower Madam. Fairly recent, that, The Secret Life of Sidney B- Biddle Barrows. Number four, Love for Sale, A World History of Prostitution. Number five, Brothel, Mustang Ranch and its women. Number six, Sex Work. Number seven, Sin in the Second City. I'm not sure which city that refers to. It could be Chicago, it could be Birmingham. Um, Number eight, soiled doves. What a nice little phrase. Soiled doves. Prostitution in the early West. Number nine, courtesans, money, sex and fame in the 19th century. And number ten, the madams of San Francisco. So why, why is it that we are so addicted to reading about the oldest profession in the world? It has literally fascinated readers for centuries. What do you think, Eve? I certainly am not addicted to reading about it. <laughs> I don't think I've never read. You're too busy with your professors, aren't you? <laughs> I've never read a book about a hooker in my life. I'm glad to say. Soil doves really appeals, though. Yeah. It is an enduring popular vein of um, of fiction and non-fiction. I do uh, do like the sound of soiled doves. Prostitution in the early West sounds pretty good, actually. I'm going to have to have a look, though. I didn't know this existed, to tell you the truth. Oh, my Um, goodness. This (laughs) seam of CD. You do live out in the wild, don't you? You really do. Yes, I know. Sorry, I must get my head out of this sort of and look about me. I mean, I have read dodgy books. Don't get me wrong, but none of nothing, uh, nothing along these lines. But it's opened up a world to me. I'm, I'm going to have to visit Abe Books, I think, and and have a little rummage. That's a, it's a good sign. So, uh, Dave, is this just good, clean fun, or is there something more tumescent involved? I mean, is there something more un- unpleasant involved? I, I think there is something quite unpleasant. unpleasant. There, are, there are two things that I always think of with this, um, and they're kind of related uh, through my own kind of rather dull history. Um, I always think of La Grenouille by Monet, which is um, was a bathing pond in uh, near Paris, hmm. and uh, called the Frog Pond. And frog, of course, was a, a, a synonym for prostitute, which kind of is fairly graphic. Um, and it wonderfully conjures up the kind of the, the double standards doesn't it by day uh, a bathing place for families um out on a day out and so forth by night a place where the prostitutes went to take their clients likewise olympia by manet has a similar kind of uh, exposure of double standards but that's tied in with the fact that um back in 1983 i was walking from the national gallery up to king's cross um and a black lady on a corner uh, wandered up to me and said, are you looking for a girl, love? Yeah. Which was odd because I was, you know, like 19, had an afghan on and hair like a bush. And I thought, <laughs> probably not your typical punter, but there you go. And I said, no, thank you very much. Um, and then, in curiously, in 1994, I was walking up the same street, up towards Wardour Street, um, touting my illustration portfolio around. And on the same corner, the same black lady said, are you looking for a girl, love? Amazing. And I thought, you poor poor woman for the last 11 years you've been standing on this corner asking random people are they looking for a girl love and i thought at that point any vague fascination or interest in in the kind of the the mysteries of such a profession evaporated because i thought there's the reality this poor woman's just been doing this for 11 years and god knows how much longer afterwards as well and i thought that was incredibly sad Mm. she was probably she might have been quite happy for all i know but it seemed sad to me well, that, that's very interesting because that actually reflects, I think, quite directly on the um, the Emperor's Club VIP scandal, which broke this week, and of course has brought um, Mr. Spitzer down. And um, you know what they were, were peddling was exactly that. What they called it was 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 high class. Um, 
well, it was people do call it high class prostitution. But as a piece, I think in the New York Times today or yesterday pointed out, that's actually an oxymoron. So I actually did read the Happy Happy Hooker when I was in college. Um, mm. It was, uh, you know, interesting and you know, naughty, and that's probably why I read it. Um, I'd never heard of any uh, such kinds of things prior to that. Um, obviously, not great writing, but I think that's why we read it for a little thrill, and it probably people about that age is uh, is who's buying it. Um, I don't really get the point of prostitution. Never really have. What kind of poor, desperate soul would? Go and and these guys that have everything. Why? I, I, it's really pitiful, if you ask me. Well, it, it's tempting fight, isn't it? Really, for, for somebody in his position, uh, because and, and until then, I mean, he was known as Mister Clean. Oh, and it serves him <laughs> right. <laughs> Mister Clean, what? I suppose is the question. <laughs> Parts of him might have been clean or cleaned. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's all it's all oh, quite beastly, no. isn't it? Really. Well. We're descending now. Oh, I told you we would. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's getting darker by the minute, guys. Um, continuing on, our inev- inevitable descent. Uh, vice, lust, pride, wrath, gagging. A very powerful British figure has been named as a client in this developing scandal. The Emperor's Club Farago, all the UK press prepared stories naming him just um, 24, 48 hours ago. Some stories were even posted on, on their own websites and they were indexed immediately in Google yesterday before the lawyers moved in overnight and silenced them, pulled all the stuff off the, off the web. You can still read this particular person's name, very important person in the UK, um, on all the US press coverage, of course, writing in the New York Daily News. Larry McShane reports that many UK papers' stories on this person's ties to Emperor's Club VIP had been removed or edited down, including The Telegraph, big national newspaper, The Times, uh, known as The Thunderer sometimes, and The Daily Mail. Um, the man in question was a customer of the same high-end prostitution service patronised by Governor Spitzer. He haggled with one of the Empress Club's girls about the cost. Um, he was described by one of the girls as dull and demanding. I thought his conversation was quite boring, she said. He was named in documents filed with the US court as Client 6. This raises a ton of issues. Why are we Brits still such a soft touch with the legal writs? Isn't this a free speech issue? And what can we learn from the Americans? Every British author, whether fiction or non-fiction, has to confront the looming spectre of libel or just upsetting a powerful person when they put pen to paper. And in Britain, you can write anything, of course, but can you get it published? And crucially, can you prevent it from being unpublished? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean... Hmm. We do have this strange notion that we can say anything we want, as you say, but whether we can actually get it out there in any form is a whole different thing. I think it's all about it's, – it's kind of an ethical question, really. If people set themselves up as kind of you know public figures that state that they have some kind of uh, value set that is meaningful and then they kind of break – with the values themselves, they're really asking for all that they get. Well, that's hypocrisy, um, at least. Yeah. Absolutely. And we, unfortunately, that hypocrisy runs right the way through the whole industry, doesn't it, to an extent where nobody's going to, you know, it's kind of I'll scratch your, your back and I'll scratch somebody else's. I've lost the plot. What is that saying? I don't know. But, um, you know, it's it's very much kind of old boy networks and we won't do this because it'll upset so-and-so, upset so-and-so and we'll do that. But ultimately, it is it is an ethical question. If you're going to stand up and say, I think this is wrong, then don't do it. Mm. And if you do, you really ought to get what's coming to you. You really ought to. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, completely staggers me, actually, um, because I've I've had one or two um, situations develop in the past where, um, you know, you know that a newspaper is going to to, to run um, a story, um, or sometimes, in fact, a newspaper wants to run a story, and you want the newspaper to run the story, um, but there are, you know... Um, other people who are not very happy about it and put up a, a bit of a fight. And it's one of the most difficult things in, in the world, actually, to fight the legal department of a big British newspaper. Because they're there, they, you know, that's what they exist for. They say, come on, you, know, you want to fight? Fine, come on, no problem at all. Um, we'll, we'll see you in the High Court, and it'll be months or years until uh, you know, the, the whole thing is, is sorted out. And the fact that um, at least three newspapers wrote pieces and overnight, um, and there must have been an enormous law firm, possibly several law firms involved, <clears throat> getting judges up at perhaps two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, um, and they succeeded in doing this. But, you know, ultimately, why bother? I mean, haven't you heard of the internet? You, you might get a, a gagging order in the UK, but you're not going to stop um, the presses in, in the States from uh, from doing something about Isn't it. Isn't truth a defense there? It is here. If you are yeah. saying something that's truthful, it's an absolute defense. If, if yeah. this guy is on the list, then reporting that he's on the list, I, I'd say he, he should be out of luck. I can't imagine. We also have a higher standard here for public figures. I don't know what your standard is, but you have to show actual malice in the publication that, that the publication is set out to hurt them. So uh, it seems odd to me that somebody could exercise prior restraint and actually get the publication stopped. Uh, uh, now here, I think definitely. Well, he got it unpublished. That was the amazing thing. When, I mean, that's the thing. It's indexed in Google, but when you click on, on the links, it just says page not found. So it actually was published for you know enough time for Google to index it, but then when the the lawyers moved in very effectively, it was taken down, which I find staggering. I, I just found it. House. You found it. You found it. Yeah, I've just put in Empire Club scandal and and found the 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 important British person. That's interesting. Quite, quite extraordinary. If you if yeah. you if you Google Empire Club scandal. You'll, yeah. it, you'll get it. It's a. It says telegraph.co.uk, but it's actually linking to an American paper. But it's there. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, the situation's probably changed again because you know once once the the word gets out, I mean, the court would probably take the view, wouldn't it, Donna, that the, 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 you know an injunction serves no purpose anymore. I, I would think so because once it's out in the public, although if they have decided that it's defamatory, um, then stopping it from spreading would be a purpose for an injunction. Hmm. I mean, what can, what can we do about this more generally? I mean, I, I know at least one big publisher, big international publisher, who here in the UK have a policy of not touching any kind of biography at all of a living person unless it's fully authorised by that particular person because they just don't want any trouble. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's really running away from... Uh, uh, well, it's 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 an attack on direct, indirectly an attack on free speech, isn't it? Well, take it to American publishers then. They're missing out, aren't they? Uh, yeah. It seems foolish to me to have that kind of a policy. <clears throat> I think they're just closing the stable door after the horse is bolted, really. I mean, it, I think certainly, yes, I believe in protecting people in some ways, you know, if, if somebody's going to be hurt by something or in danger or... But this is no, this is truth and this should be out there. People, you know, he's made his bed so he should lie in it, basically. I mean, yeah, literally. I, don't, I mean, yes, uh-huh. I don't, I don't see why how he's managed to get this done. I mean, obviously, the old boy network Money, is working influence. very well. Uh-huh, mm -hmm. yes. 
Um, no, I think it, it, we should take a chance. Everybody should take a chance on doing something. Um, we're just being repressed, and that's not any we'll, good. We'll go ahead and say his name and see what happens. They're already watching you, right? <laughs> no, they switched off hours ago. <laughs> Look up a, a synonym for for a, a title and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, no, it's, it's, don't you think the whole thing's a bit of a smokescreen? It always it smacks a big brother to me. Let's get people obsessed with with um, you know stories about smut, and I you know I, I have the Orwellian view of sport and gambling. And they won't pay attention to the fact that, you know, an MP in this country can spend 10 grand on a new kitchen on expenses and Mm. things like that. I'm more concerned about that stuff. I don't care if they go and and pick up a tart somewhere. It's really neither here Mm. nor there to me. I mean, it's a problem for their families, but I don't care um, as long as they don't claim it's expenses. um, I think it's a cover-up of the John Lewis list coming out and and doing this at the same time, trying to divert attention. I, almost certainly, you know, there was that mm-hmm. classic one uh, from I can't remember which department of uh, of the government yeah. it was, wasn't it? Nine Eleven, mm-hmm. a good yeah. day to bury to- bad news. Yeah. You That's know, right. We, you know, we can't underestimate how cynical and exploitative uh, the PR people uh, in government and attached to the royal family and American government are in actually diverting our attention from real issues, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. We can't yeah. afford to be to let our guard down about how, how these people act. You know, uh, trust no one, suspect everyone. You know, go back to poor old Winston Smith. Diversion is everything. Mm. Sorry, that's very paranoid, isn't it? I'll just go and check outside <laughs> that there aren't any FBI men or CIA <laughs> guys in the cupboards. everyone's or, watching, or yeah. <laughs> No, I, I don't think they're watching. I know they're watching this, you know. <laughs> You know, what is it, um, one camera for every 14 people in this country or yeah. something like that? And they're, then they're watching you, reading the thesaurus. They could be... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, she's on M now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, hang on, she's gone back to P because it relates to that last word. She'll, she'll never get out of that loop. You get stuck in a loop, you'll never, you'll never escape. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, These well, guys bring dates to their bre- press conferences. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Well, we know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I, 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 as far as Mr. Spitzer is concerned, I can't help thinking, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I can't help thinking that this whole thing came out at a rather interesting time. You know, why did it come out now at this particular moment? Because he, he did have uh, one or two big financial institutions in his sights, apparently. So um, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a question mark there. We know what's going to happen. Of course, he's going to um, you know, he's going to sort of retire from public life. I suppose um, the um, the call girl concerned, the most extraordinary name. I don't know if it's completely genuine. Ashley Kristen Alexandra Nina Vanessa Di Petro Dupre. I mean, she'll make some money. If she's sensible, she'll get herself some kind of agent and make a bit of money, and then uh, she too will will fade from view, and we'll we'll be on to the next scandal. So, to answer the question that I posed earlier on, vice, is it any good at all? Let's, um, let's see what your views are, Dave. Uh, I, I have a very um, kind of 
I like Jung's take on all of this. You have to be in touch with your dark side as well as your light side. Mm-hmm. You can't deny any part of your personality as others would have that you would. You know, there are many um, religious and philosophical schools of thought that would say that you must reject all that is dark and only embrace those positive and, mm. you know, uh, upstanding things in, in a person. And you can't because they are part of what we are and who we are. So, we have to acknowledge them. We don't necessarily have to follow those things through. We don't have to do these things, but we have to acknowledge them and we have to accept that we are flawed and we are – everybody to an extent is bipolar. You know, there's a lovely um, bit of research that suggests that multiple personality disorder isn't really a disorder at all, but we all have multiple personalities uh, as we move into different situations and it's only with multiple personality disorder where – you can't remember from one to the next that actually becomes a problem. Mm. And I think that's that's true in, in another way in that we, we have these sides to our personalities. We just have to accept them. We can't deny them. And if we try and pretend they don't exist, we're doing ourselves a greater wrong than fully indulging them in many mm. ways. Mm. Yeah. Very, um, gosh, that's a very good point. Eve, um, the dark side. Do you, do you spend a lot of time there? Do you find inspiration there as a writer at all? Oh, absolutely. I'd be lost without my thesaurus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I, I'm very dark sometimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have lots of vices and I embrace them completely. Mm. And uh, yes, they, they help me. They help me connect with my work. Not that I write dark stuff or anything, but yes. Uh-huh. No, I like it. Well, they say it's always more interesting to write about evil characters and good ones of course I was going to say I've just got this image of Darth Vader with a thesaurus now I must acknowledge the dark side Mm, the black side the midnight side (laughs) no I'll stick with dark side (laughs) sorry I do apologise. Uh, no. <laughs> Dave, Dave is, who's, you know, who's multiple personalities, are also, at the same time as he's talking to us, he's also very busy in the chat room. He's, he's just volunteered this little nugget of information saying, I always like the word strumpet. I do rather like that too. Yeah, toast, toasting <laughs> little, little garlic and olive oil. Very nice. Little strumpet. And Chuna Madra says, says, see, now with a thesaurus, I could have found that one instead, she says. Um, Donna, your dark side, useful in writing or, or what? Well, I write paranormal stuff, so I, I guess I do uh, use my dark side in my writing, and probably writing is my biggest vice right now because I'm otherwise deadly dull as a mom to two young kids. Um, I think that... Um, and therefore a potential library book <laughs> borrower and not returner. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even that dangerous because I tend to buy the books. If anything, I, I buy too many books. But um, I, I think that it is more fun to write about um, the dark side and dark characters and dangerous things. But then I'm a Stephen King reader, so um, I, I've been reading that kind of stuff since I was pretty young. Um, I, I think it's why Stephen King sells so well. We, we enjoy that stuff. I'm still with Darth Vader flicking through his thesaurus, <laughs> looking up words for domination and control and, <laughs> and helmet. Helm. Mm. No, he's, uh, uh, I know what the title of the podcast is going to be then. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very long title, actually, isn't it? 
Um, well, I think, I think we've just about survived our, our, our journey into the, uh, the cesspool of vice out there. Um, yeah, I think we've survived pretty much unsoiled, actually. I'm unsoiled, I don't know about you guys. Um, so I'd like to thank tonight Dave Bartram, Donna Ballman, Eve Harvey for being such a fantastic panel. And why don't we all get together again and do this next week? Thank you, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Well, that was the show, and this is The Colophon. This podcast comes to you from Litopia Writers' Colony. The main website address is www.litopia.com. And we also have a microsite purely dedicated to our podcasts. The address is podcast.litopia.com. There's no www, just type podcast.litopia.com, and you'll find it. That's also where you'll find show notes and links referenced in this episode, all carefully compiled by our podcast officer for your benefit. How are you currently listening to this podcast? The best way is to subscribe to it using iTunes. iTunes is free software, and it works both on the Mac and the PC. Once you subscribe in this way, every show will be automatically downloaded for you the moment it's available. Full instructions on the Litopia website. And talking of iTunes, if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a good review on our iTunes page. We rely on word of mouth to promote the podcast and really would appreciate your help to tell people about us. On the website, podcast.litopia.com, you'll find a neat little widget that you can easily add to your MySpace page, your blog, or your social network. Just click on the button for full instructions. It's easy to do, it looks cool, and it helps us too. We're constantly working to make the show and the website better and better. One new feature allows you to sign up to have our fulsome show notes delivered automatically to your mailbox, again, as soon as the show is released. Speaking of feedback, we want to hear from you, and we'd be delighted to receive your comments and suggestions. There are several ways to do this. Choose whatever suits you. You can, for example, leave a comment on the show notes page, or you can use the handy feedback form again on the website. If you prefer, you can send us an email, and if you're feeling very adventurous, you can even record your thoughts as an MP3 file and send that to us too. Our email address is podcast at litopia.com. Remember, in addition to being available as podcasts, our shows are also streamed live over the internet as they're recorded. This means you can listen in to all our bloopers, and you can also make comments or post questions via the special live chat facility. You'll enjoy it. It's great fun. Full details on the website. Finally, if you appreciate what we're doing, then please do consider giving us some mild financial support to cover our web hosting and bandwidth costs. It only takes a moment to click on one of the buttons to make a donation, and it will help us keep going. This is Peter Cox. Thank you for listening, and looking forward to being back with you again soon. Bye.